time of prayer today, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail where you offer a place where you offer your prayers, I invite you to join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross, for the empty tomb, for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Father, as we come to this moment of prayer today, we are reminded and we acknowledge how desperately we need you. We look around our world, we look around our own lives And we understand more than we sometimes are willing to admit that we desperately need you. We thank you for inviting us to pray and for hearing our prayers. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We pray for 
uh, refugees. We pray for places of war and violence. We pray, Father, that you will bring peace to our violent, war-torn world. We pray, Father, for our nation and for the, the struggles that we are going through right now, for the leaders of our nation. We ask, Father, that you will bring a sense of unity that is focused in Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to be bonded together in the spirit of Christ. Father, we pray for your church around the world. Where there is division, we pray that you would bring unity. Where there is misunderstanding, we pray that you would lead your church to the truth. We pray, Father, that you will protect your church from attacks, both from the inside and from the outside. We think, Father, of our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria as they face the continued oppression and attacks and violence because of their faith. Father, we pray that you will help them to persevere, give them protection, fill them with peace. We pray, Father, that you will bring to, to their aid the, the need, meet the needs that they have. And we pray, Father, that they will know the love and the support and the care of your people all around the world. We thank you for the ministry of Jim and Karen Szymanski. And as they prepare to depart this week for their assignment in Nepal, as they work with churches, as they, as they go about the ministry, we pray, Father, that you will help them to have safety in their travels, safety while they're there. We pray that you would help them with uh, whatever issues of health that may arise. Bless them as they teach classes and as they work friendships and partnerships. We ask, Father, that you would work miraculously through them in these next month and a half. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless the church right around us. We thank you for the ministry of the Rochester Youth Association. We ask that you will continue to bless this this outreach, this ministry among the churches and in the schools and everywhere they work. May they be a beacon of light and hope in the midst of places where there may be no hope. We pray you'd pour out your blessing upon the leaders. And in this time of transition, may they all sense your grace and your strength to move forward for your kingdom. We thank you, Father, for uh, the, the churches around us. And we pray today for the Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Wellsville. And Father Di Maria, pour out your blessing upon this gathering of believers today and their ministry to their community and beyond. And may they know your grace upon them in all that they do. And Father, we pray for the needs of our own lives. We pray for those who are grieving today. We ask that you would bring peace and comfort. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We think especially of Joe Breton, Cheryl O'Brien, Stora Emmett, Ben King, Dorsa Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buecher, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds and our hearts today. 
Father, we pray that, that you will help us as a congregation to love each other and to care for each other and to sense your spirit working in us individually and corporately. Fill our minds with your truth. Fill our hearts with your love. Fill our souls with your spirit. And for all of us, Father, make us sensitive to you, the work of your spirit, and to each other. That we might be the church that you have called us to be in this place. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one from whom we learned the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture reading this morning can be found in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. A couple things. Uh, following the reading this morning, uh, children can be dismissed for Children's Church. And just a reminder, there's no junior church this morning. Also, at the conclusion of the Bible reading, of the scripture reading this morning, we're going to partake in a short little exercise that we typically reserve for Easter morning. One of my favorite exercises we participate in the church, but we have it written on our banner. The cross is still empty. We're still in the Easter season. And uh, we're going to engage in that little exercise again at the conclusion of the reading. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the gospel? Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father, and your Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. He is risen. Amen.
Grief is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your experiences of life. It doesn't matter how educated or uneducated you may be. It doesn't matter about any of those things. Grief is a part of being human. Grief comes to us in a variety of ways and forms. We often think of grief as primarily about death, and and that is certainly a, a significant way, a means by which we experience grief. But grief is so much more than that. If you think of grief as loss, you begin thinking about the loss of a relationship, The loss of a dream. The loss of something valuable. The loss of a resource. The loss of of anything brings us grief and pain. And in one way or another, we all experience it. Some grief, some loss, some pain is much deeper than other pain. It, it sticks with us longer. It, it is a more of a difficult uh, problem to try and overcome. But the reality is we all have faced it and we all will continue to face it because it's life. It's, it's being human. And when we come to this story, the morning of the resurrection... 
we see grief. We see Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb and finding that Jesus is not there and she has no explanation for it and she begins to grieve. I think, it's, I think there's, a, there's something about grief that is connected to both uh, expectations and uh, questions. When she comes in and she's looking around and she says... Uh, what, are you, what have you done with my Lord? Where is he? I'm looking for him. And I think the reason she's looking for him is that there is something about grief and loss and pain that we think if we can just find the solution, if we can just find the answer, then everything will be fine. If we just solve this problem, if we can just get to the end of it, if we can explain it in some way, it makes dealing with it so much easier. And so, we, and so grief sets us on a search to try to find what we have lost. And we go around spending our lives trying to find it. Often that means trying to replace something with something we've lost. It means trying to figure out why things happen. I mean, Mary is incredulous here. She's asking, why would anyone steal the body of Jesus? I mean, it was, it was one thing for Jesus to be on the cross and to go through all of that grief. But she could probably, at least in her mind, understand that the people who hated Jesus did this to him. But to try to find an answer about someone taking his body, she, she's racking her brain trying to figure it out. And she's asked both the angels in the tomb and the, and the man who she later finds out is Jesus, where have you taken him? What have you done with him? And I will go get him. I will solve this. And that's what grief does to us. We're always looking for explanations. We're always trying to, to find a new expectation because in many ways, grief is related to our expectations. Something about what we expect to happen doesn't happen. In those most serious moments of grief, those deepest pains of grief, the expectation that things like children ought to always outlive us. And friends shouldn't die so early. And we shouldn't have to go through this kind of experience. And people shouldn't treat us like that. Those expectations that come to us, there's nothing wrong with those expectations. They're actually quite true. But grief keeps hitting us at that point. The reality is grief is, and loss and pain, when you boil it down, really is irrational. Every so often we're able to say, well, we can, we can at least with our minds figure out maybe why that happened or, or at least the, the circumstances of that. But deep inside, we're still wondering, why did that have to happen? Often that eventually turns around on God. Why did you let that happen? What are you doing? Are you paying any attention? Do you care? Some of the most natural questions in the world. And we keep asking them and, and it feels like we're not getting any kind of an answer. 
Because the truth of the matter is, it's, it's a bit irrational. It's almost, it's almost always totally to be completely unexplainable. And that's because grief and pain and loss are always tied up with love. And love is always involved with risk. When God creates this world, he creates a world in which human beings have freedom. And wherever there is freedom, there is freedom to do good and there is freedom to do bad. There is freedom for good things to happen. There is freedom for evil to happen. That is the nature of freedom. If you can't, if there is no, if there, is, there is no possibility for bad or evil to take place, then there's really not freedom. And God creates a world with freedom because he wants a relationship with us. And he doesn't want a relationship with us that we are forced to have with him, that we have no choice about having with him. He wants a relationship with us that we choose, that we want, that we desire, because that really is truly a relationship. But in this world, then, human beings, we know human beings sin, human beings uh, hurt one another, life, this world is broken and fallen, and there are difficulties and struggles and loss and grief and pain. And it is most intense about the things that we love. If you love, you risk. If you love another person, you risk being rejected by that person. If, if, you, if you love doing something, you risk, you risk losing the ability to do something. Whatever we love, there is risk involved with it. And where there is risk, there is the potential for pain and hurt and loss and grief. And we want to believe that when we love... Everything ought to be good. That's what we're doing the right thing. Love is good. Love is exactly what we're supposed to do as we were created, what we were created to do. And in our mind, when we love, we ought to have a positive return. And that's what makes it so difficult. Because we're expecting something positive and we receive something different. Mary has loved Jesus. She's given her life for Jesus. Jesus is everything to her. And to think that someone would do this to Jesus is breaking her heart. Here's what I find fascinating about this story. Is that Jesus knows all of this about pain and grief and loss. He understands all of it far better than we do. And his response to Mary is not an explanation. His response to Mary is not uh, to take away her grief. His response to Mary is not to say, hey, don't cry. His response is simply to speak her name. Mary. Mary. There is something about about Jesus speaking her name that makes his response to her personal. And what we discover is that God in our pain, God in our grief and in our loss, is never generic. He never says to us, look, everybody's gone through this kind of thing. You're just going to have to deal with it. 
Or he never says to us, look, I figured this thing out. Here are five steps that you take and deal with it. No. Every one of us has a different kind of grief, a different kind of pain, a different kind of loss. And he speaks into that grief and pain and loss right where we are, exactly what we need. And what we need more than anything else is to know that we're loved. To know that we are important to him. And he speaks our name. It made me think about what Jesus says earlier in John's gospel in chapter 10. When he's talking about the, the, the shepherd and the sheep. And he says the sheep follow him. Why? Because they hear his voice and they know his voice. His voice means something to them. They're important. Jesus speaks our name. And Mary's response is to say, Rabboni. John translates that for us. He says in Aramaic, it means teacher. Whenever I see those kinds of things, I wonder, why didn't John just say that Mary said, teacher? You know, I mean, it's not as if the whole rest of the scripture isn't translated from Greek into English. So why not just say teacher? There is something significant about him pointing out that she said the word in Aramaic. And I think it's because Aramaic is her heart language. And there is something that Je- something about hearing her name spoken by Jesus that speaks into the depths of her being. And her most natural response is to say it the way she feels it. And John wants us to understand that. Because when Jesus speaks our name, he's speaking into the depths of our being. Into those deepest, darkest places of our pain and our hurt and our struggle, our grief, our loss. All of the way, all the questions, all of the unfulfilled and unmet expectations. All of that. He speaks our name. He speaks into that, into the depths of our being. Because he knows us. And this call, the call of the gospel, the call of Jesus to Mary, when he speaks her name, he is communicating so much to her. You get a sense that she, in some way or another, begins to get it. But it's a call to trust. It's a call to, that I'm not going to marry... The answers will come at some point, but right now, you just need to trust that I'm here with you. I'm here. I think one of the frustrations about our grief is that we want, we want it to be healed immediately. We want it to be healed now. And that's the most natural thing in the world for us. Let's get past it because all of us, we spend our lives trying to avoid pain. And we spend our lives trying to get past pain. That... That's, that's just naturally human. In fact, we look strangely at people who enjoy pain. But the reality is, because we live in this fallen, broken world, we will continue to live with a degree of pain and loss and grief until that day when Jesus returns and ushers in his kingdom and all will be healed. Only on that day does the book of Revelation tell us that there are no more tears. No more weeping. 
No more sorrow. No more pain. Until that day, we live with it. And the call of the gospel and the call of the resurrected Christ is, trust me, in the middle of it. But he doesn't just leave us alone. He says to his disciples in chapters 14, 15, and 16, he says, I know you're going to grieve, and I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He will comfort you in your sorrow. He will help you. He will heal you in your grief. He will help you sense me. He will remind you of everything I've ever said to you. He'll remind you that how many times I've promised that I will be with you. He will remind you of what, this, what the empty tomb means. That Christ has conquered death. He has conquered all of the, all the power that, that causes the grief and the pain and the loss that we experience. He has won. He's conquered it. We might not see it right now. We might not experience it fully right now. But he has won. And the Holy Spirit will remind us that, that, we are, that we can trust him. That there is hope. But he also sends us the church. It's, there is something about that you, as human beings, we need the tangible presence of people to help us. And one of the roles of the church is to be an agent of healing for each other as well as for the world. And that's why Paul writes so often about bear one another's burdens, carry one another's burdens, love one another, be there for each other, help each other. Because we need each other. One of the great dynamics of the church is that we, as we walk through our grief and our pain, we are at various stages of it in our lives. Some of us have been through it and we have sensed the healing of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we actually have the ability to help others walk through their grief and their pain. When all things being equal, who would you rather talk to about what you're feeling and experiencing. Someone who has no clue what you're talking about or someone who's been there. I think it's one of the struggles that we have as the church is to be honest enough with each other, to be transparent enough with each other that we let each other see our grief and our pain and our loss. You know, sometimes we, the church is, it feels like the church is all about the masks that we wear. How much can we hide? How, how, how nice can we talk about our lives? We, we are uncomfortable being honest with each other about the pain and the hurt and the struggles that we're facing. And yet that's exactly why the church was created. So that we could be agents of Christ to help in the healing that each other needs. It's the call of the church. To be a face and hands and eyes of compassion and grace and ears to listen and help each other walk through the struggles that we face in this world. As I've said to you a number of times, I think most of what we 
deal with in life and how we respond to it has a lot to do with our image of God. And I'm convinced that nowhere is that more true than when we are dealing with grief and pain and loss. It's in those moments that that we see our struggle to view God and to understand God as he truly is. And when I read this story, there's a question that comes to my mind that I think has the potential to reveal to us how we view God. When Mary looks into the tomb, the angels ask her, why are you crying? When she encounters Jesus, he asks her, why are you crying? Now, you can ask that question in a variety of ways. We don't, have, we don't know the tone of voice. We don't know what their faces look like. All we have are the words. And so the angels and Jesus could have asked Mary, why in the world are you crying? Jesus is not here. He's risen. Did you not pay any attention to anything he said when he was talking to you? Were you not listening? I can't believe it. Why in the world are you crying? You have no reason to cry. Jesus is risen. They might have asked it in a sort of a sense of curiosity. Why, why are you crying? I, 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 I haven't been paying that much attention. What's happening? What's the big deal? Why are you crying? But I think probably they asked that question with compassion. Tell me, what's breaking your heart? I can see that you're struggling. Talk to me about it. Let me hear. I'm interested. I'm concerned. I care about you. And however we might interpret Jesus asking that question says a lot about how we view God. Do we view God as someone who is continually exasperated with us and that when we face pain and loss, our feeling is that God is looking at us and saying, what is your problem? Why, why is this so, such a big deal to you? Why can't you get over this? Don't you, don't you trust me? What's wrong with you? Or maybe we sense that God is disconnected from us. He's really not that concerned about us. He's, got, he's paying attention to other things. And so his questions are always sort of like sometimes, you know, when you, when you talked with your parents and they're reading the paper and listening to you at the same time. Uh-huh, sure, yeah, okay. But what I think Jesus wants us to understand is that God is right there with us. Jesus doesn't just, doesn't give us answers about our grief. He steps into our grief. He is present with us. And nowhere do we see more clearly the true, real image of who God is than at this table. This table is a vivid image of the heart of God. Of his love for us. Of his willingness to go through pain and heartache. This table reminds us that the reason the world is created with freedom that involves love and risk is because God is the great risk taker. No one takes more risks than God does. Think of the risks God takes in creating human beings. 
creating us as free. Think of the risk God takes in identifying himself with people on this earth. The risk God takes in choosing Israel to be his people. The risk that God takes in sending his son. The risk that God takes in saying the church is going to be my presence on the earth. God is all about taking risks because God is all about love. And nowhere do we see that more clearly than at this table. God understands what we're going through. And that's why Isaiah speaks of the Messiah to come as one, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He understands. And he's with us. I'd like for you to do something this morning. At the end of each of the rows, each end of the rows, there are some index cards. I want you to pass them. Make sure everybody in your row gets an index card. Hopefully you have something to write with. There's some pens should be in front of you there. We're going to take just a moment or two of silence. And if you're watching and streaming at home, find a piece of paper or something as well. What I want you to do is to write down on that card a grief, a pain, a loss, Whatever is in your heart this morning as you've been thinking about this, what comes to your mind? You might be hesitant to write it down because you think compared to other people's, it doesn't seem that big. That has absolutely no bearing upon it. Our pain, our loss, our grief is ours, whatever it is. And just to take a moment and to write that down. And then when we're done... We're going to come and receive communion. And I want you to bring that card with you. You can fold it in half if you don't want people to see it. And just carry it with you. Put it in your pocket. Hold it in your hand. So that when you come for communion and and you have that grief, you're holding that grief. You eat the bread and you drink the cup as an affirmation, as, as an acknowledgement that you are trusting Christ to be with you. In the midst of that grief. And you're giving it to him.
Father, we thank you that you know our hearts. You know the pain and the struggles of our lives and you are with us. Help us today to hear you speaking our name. Speaking compassion and grace and healing. Father, we thank you for this table and for what it, it means about you and about us. We pray you, you would pour out your blessing upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we may sense your presence with us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through your people. Pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, as you are released by Rose to come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. Please feel free to use the altar rail as a place of prayer if you would like to after you have taken the elements. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. And I have gluten-free wafers here and cups. Happy to serve you here. Just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire to, to know Him and to be known by Him, then Come. Receive these gifts of love and grace from our loving Heavenly Father.
the broken, lost, and hurt. I know you hate to see me cry. One day you will set all things right. One day you will set all things right. When my world is shaking, heaven says, when my heart is breaking, I never leave your hands, your hands.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.